Welcome to Victory, a place to call home. We're here to help people find and follow Jesus, and we are so glad that you are listening. For now, let's turn to the Word of God, uh, Acts chapter 22 and verse 21. Uh, one verse for now. <laughs> one verse for now. The Apostle Paul, uh, he is appearing before the authorities that be. They have arrested him. They're going to take him to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And he gives testimony. He bears witness. And he says this to those authorities. He's giving and recounting his testimony from Acts, the book of Acts chapter 9, where he saw a light, he heard a voice and said, it's the Lord Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he obeyed the call to go into Damascus in which he would receive further instructions from the Lord. And we know that at this point in Acts chapter 22 that the apostle Paul, his life has been changed by Jesus Christ. He's become a follower of Jesus and he has gone on two missionary journeys. He's on his third missionary journey. He's established churches. He's written letters and now he is writing or he's writing and recounting his testimony. And Luke is recording this testimony of Paul before the authorities. And this is what he says. Then the Lord said to me, this is Paul speaking, the Lord said to him, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I want to share with you and preach to you for a few moments this morning along these lines. When God says go, when God says go, join with me in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for our time together this morning to gather around your word, and Lord, to hear what you would have to say. Lord, we don't want to just come into this moment, Lord, simply to attend a service, to hear a sermon, to sing a song, and to leave the same way that we've come in. But God, we've come, Lord, into this moment, Lord, to hear from you, to hear from heaven. And so, Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts to receive what you would have to say to us today. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your loving kindness to us, Lord, today. We thank you, Lord, uh, that Old Dominion University beat the Virginia Tech Hokies. We give you glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry. I know I got a lot of enemies now. But I did grow up in Norfolk right on campus at ODU, so how about that? How about them apples? So that was kind of a, a shocker. And... Um, we all like certainty. This is what I know about you and what I know about myself. We like certainty. And certainty and faith, they go hand in hand. And on the other side of the spectrum, uncertainty, right, and fear go hand in hand. The more certain you are, the more faith you have. The more faith you have, the more certain you are. And the more uncertain you are, the more fear can take over, and the more fear you have, the more uncertain you are. Like, I like to be certain that things are going to work out the way that I'm expecting them to work out. And I know you are too. But we live in an uncertain world, full of uncertainties every single day. And it's not just in the big things, a diagnosis, a broken relationship, something unexpected with our children, 
It's not just in the big things, but we like certainty in the little things as well. When I pull up to McDonald's, and I got two kids in the back, and they're starving, I don't want to hear we're out of french fries. I like certainty. I said McDonald's because you know that wouldn't happen at Chick-fil-A. So I'm just, God, God's chicken is, they got, they got it going on over there. When I go to the pool, I don't want when I show up for them to say, pool's closed today. Why is the pool closed? Are you kidding me right now? I'm like to come out of like my pastor mode and I'm getting ready to tell somebody that they're really messing me up today. But I digress. I won't go there. But we like certainty. We like a script. We like our plans. We like our checklist. We like for things to go according to schedule and according to what we expect. Do we not? And oftentimes, the problem with that approach is we can control a lot of things in our life. However, when we choose to follow Jesus, we go off script. Jesus is like, you want to follow me? You are going to enter into some uncertainty right now. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to make you a little bit uneasy. Because when I call you to follow me, I'm calling you to step out into uncertainty. We find the Apostle Paul that this is evident in anyone that's going to follow Jesus, but we find this specifically in the life of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 16 of the book of Acts, it records the witness, and we've been in this collection of teachings called witness. A witness is someone who will uh, tell the truth or give testimony of what they've experienced, what they've seen, and what they've heard. And the Apostle Paul is uh, going into various cities and towns, and he's proclaiming or preaching the gospel, the good news about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how Jesus wants to have relationship with those who will repent of their sin, to ask him for their forgiveness, for him to come into their life, and they will receive him as their Lord and Savior. And so the Apostle Paul, though, on this mission, he finds himself, in particular in Acts chapter 16, in an uncertain circumstance. As he's going around preaching, he finds this woman named Lydia. She's a dealer in purple. She's from a place called Thyatira. She's a successful businesswoman. And he's going into this time of prayer outside the city gates at a uh, river. And he finds this woman and she believes in Jesus. And she says, uh, if you have counted me to be faithful, then allow me to, uh, to, to hold you as, like, as, as my guest in my home. You and Silas and Luke and Timothy, and you guys come and be my guests. And they find themselves at a, um, at a place in which they have a home base where they can go out every day and preach the gospel, share the good news about Jesus. And as they're going about doing these things, in verse 16 of, of Acts chapter 16, um, they find uh, this group of people, and um, this group of people, as they're going to prayer, uh, someone meets them as a female slave, the Bible said, who has a spirit of divination or a spirit in which uh, she predicts the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Verse 17, 
She followed Paul and the rest of his colleagues, and she shouted, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Scripture says that she kept this up for many days, and finally, she kept doing this, and finally, Paul became so annoyed. In the Greek, the word is, he became grieved, he became like distressed, annoyed, fed up. Have you ever been there? That he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. That moment the spirit left her, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So he's using the authority in which Jesus has given him in his witness for God. And I told you last week that even in the most uncertain, most darkest, most difficult times of his life, Paul was not certain in merely his circumstances, but he was certain in what God had said. And this is the truth that I want to share with you from this passage today is this. In uncertain circumstances, a witness can be certain in what God has said. Well, what did God say to Paul? What has he said to you? What has he said to me? He said to us, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. We can be certain that he has sent us out on mission to accomplish his purpose. And he sent us out, not by ourselves, but he says, lo, I am with you. He said, behold, I am with you. I'm not sending you out on your own, but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And that's why Acts chapter 1 verse 9 says that we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth, and we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And so Paul and his associates are going out, they're being a witness, they're sharing the gospel in an uncertain world, in uncertain circumstances, but being certain that God had sent them out. Does that make sense? Being certain that they were obeying God. Their certainty wasn't in their uncertain circumstances, but their certainty came from what God had said. I want you to be my witnesses. And here they are. They're getting ready to go off script. They're really getting ready to go off script. When the owners realized, verse 19, that their hope of making more money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, that was a racist statement, and are throwing our city into an uproar. That was a lie by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice further lies. So they've been falsely imprisoned by people who have no authority to do so. Then they've been lied about. They have uh, been mistreated because of their ethnicity. And they're brought before the magistrates, falsely accused. And the crowd, verse 22, joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. This is an attack. Do you get that? This is an attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell 
Basically, he put them on death row. He put them in the darkest place of the prison, where it was the darkest, where it was the most disgusting, where it was the most depressing, where they had uh, murderers in there, where there was, the, um, as you study this, there was uh, feces and there was disgust. It was disgusting there, where there was rats and a- animals and flies and maggots and all these depl- this deplorable situation. Things have spiraled off script. Things have gone off the rails. The Apostle Paul and Silas right now are in improv mode. They're going off cuff. Things are not in the script. They're going into an uncertain circumstance. And I can share with you this morning that as you go out to be a witness for Jesus Christ, I'm going to review the two that I shared with you last week and then get into quickly the last two. As you go out to share as a witness of Jesus Christ, you can be certain on these things. First and foremost, you can be certain that as a witness for Jesus Christ that you will provoke an enemy. Do you think that Satan is just going to sit back and allow you just to be a witness for God and for people to come to know Jesus, for their lives to be transformed, for them to be set free, for them to come to know God and and come into a place of flourishing in their life. No, it is going to promote an attack of the enemy. And we see that this attack was not only just overt that we can read about in the text, and it says that they arrested them, they have falsely accused them, they they beat them with rods, they they beat them, the Bible says... uh, uh, Within almost within an inch of their lives. If you study how the Romans would beat uh, prisoners, they beat, they beat them without even limitations. So the, the, the idea is here that Paul and Silas, are, their backs are like filleted, and they, they have blood dripping from them, and they're in excruciating pain. And not only that, but then they throw them into the deepest, darkest dungeon of the prison. They take them in there. They put their feet, they spread them out as far as they can go. They put them in the Roman stocks, bolting them onto the ground, which all they can do is just lean back onto the ground in order to get some relief. This dark dungeon, this dirty place, this depressing place, this place of injury, this place of false accusation, this place of suffering that they find themselves, and they are in an uncertain circumstance, and they are off script. But the, but, but the attack is not just overt, but the attack is also covert. Remember how this girl, this slave girl, which she was possessed by a demon, comes and says, these are servants of the Most High God. You see, Satan's attack for you is, is for your witness for Jesus. And if he can't get you to stop subtly or covertly, then he will go to an overt attack. But first, he wants to attack your witness covertly. The covert attack is to defile the message and discredit the messenger. Listen to me. Listen to me. Defile the message and discredit the messenger. So what does the enemy do? He said, these are servants of the Most High God. It sounds like it would be something that they could get in agreement with, it, but the Apostle Paul, it says he was annoyed. He was frustrated. He, he, was, he was concerned. Why was he concerned? Because in a court, your witness is only as good as your character. And oftentimes, we will accept and encourage the testimony of evil And when we do, it gives the impression that we are in association with evil. So Paul is saying, I cannot just allow this to continually go on. 
because it's attacking the credibility of my witness. If I'm in association with you and you are demon-possessed, you have a witness. Maybe you have a witness, but you have it without evidence. Your life has not been changed by the grace of God, and therefore, I'm not going to allow you to go around and discredit the message and discredit me as the messenger of God. Do you see that? So we have to be careful. We have to be aware. We have to be warned. We have to be on our toes and aware that the enemy is very subtle and he will come in order to stop your witness. He will try to discredit the message. What was going to happen? People were going to start asking questions. This woman is demon possessed and she's a follower of Jesus. If that's a follower of Jesus, I don't want to be a follower of Jesus. And so the enemy tries to defile the message and discredit the messenger of God. But a witness for Jesus can be certain in their mission for Jesus, and that it will, be, it will provoke an enemy. Secondly, you can be certain that your witness will provide an opportunity. And this is where we'll pick up the text in verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were, listen to this, praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, your witness will not just provoke an enemy, but it will also provide an opportunity. In the darkest, most discouraging, most depressing time in Paul's life, he's in the midst of that prison cell, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. In an uncertain circumstance, what does he begin to do? He begins to pray, and he begins to praise. What does that sound like? I don't know. He looks to Silas and says, hey, let's pray. Uh, You got a song? Yeah, I got a song. Rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say... And then they start singing, no, no, let's do, shout to the Lord. That hadn't been written yet, so they can't sing that one yet. But I I don't know what they're doing in that prison, but the Bible says that they are praying and they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Our witness will be diminished when we miss the opportunity to give God glory in uncertainty. Prayer is not a limitation, but it's a mighty weapon. Praise is not an impediment, but it's an invitation to freedom because men cannot incarcerate what God emancipates. Listen, when you're in the midst of a difficult dilemma, when you're in the midst of your midnight hour, when you're going through a season where you find that there is no way out, there is no human possibility for you to get out, you're stuck, you're going through difficulty, you're in pain, you're finding yourself in a difficult place, an uncertain situation, here's what you need to do. It's instructive for us. We need to begin to pray. We need to begin to praise. We need to begin to believe that God can pull us out of our midnight season. You see, your midnight season might not just be the most difficult moment of your life, but it can also be a declaration that you are heading into a new season. Midnight is when the ball drops to the beginning of a new year. New possibilities, new opportunities. And it provides an opportunity for us to see the hand of God, the power of God revealed in our life. So we can be certain as a witness in our devotion to Jesus. Thirdly, a witness can be certain that your witness will prove your testimony. Listen to this. The other prisoners were listening to them. People are listening to you. They're hearing what you're saying. They're seeing, observing what you're doing. Suddenly, there was a violent suddenly. Somebody say suddenly. 
Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Paul and Silas and, his, uh, and, and their colleagues are, are worshiping Jesus, and prisoners are listening to them. And when you pray, God's power is released. When you praise, listen to this, God's presence is evidence, and when you witness, God works mighty miracles to those who are watching and to those who are listening. There are people all around us that are prisoners. They're prisoners. They're prisoners to their sin. They're prisoners to their addiction. They're prisoners to their broken situation. There are prisoners all around us, and these prisoners who do not know Christ are watching us. And the greatest testimony that we can have is how we live our life, how we exemplify what it means to be a Christian, even in our midnight circumstances. What are you saying with your life? What do others hear from your life? I had a hamster growing up, and um, we had this hamster. <laughs> I'm trying to illustrate this to you. Uh, we had this hamster, and, and it's in an cl- enclosed, clear uh, aquarium, right? And in this cage, it has the wheel, right? And so and it, for, the, for the hamster, the hamster was thinking, if I can, it, it can see freedom, it can see that it wants to get out, and the hamster, the, the whole plan for, the, for my hamster was to get in the wheel. Because I feel like that if the hamster thought it could get in the wheel, that it could somehow get out of the cage. And I see this, the hamster would go, up, would go over to the wheel and be running in the wheel, running, running, running. And um, I, I would just, it was just funny to me. And then I, I would see the hamster realized it didn't get anywhere. It wasn't getting anywhere. And so it would speed up. It'd be like, I, I'm going to go faster. If I, can, if I can go faster, I can get to freedom. And I'd come back 10, 20 minutes later, and that hamster is like still running on that wheel. How many of us live our lives like a hamster? I'm concerned that some of us live like hamsters. What do you do when like a hamster you're trapped and you cannot change things for yourself? The only way for that hamster to find freedom is for something or somebody more powerful than them to reach down in that cage and lift them out to a place of freedom. And that's how it is with you and I. When we're trapped, when we're stuck, when we're seemingly caged in a midnight season, the only way that we could get out is to put not our dependency in our own sufficiency, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but by the hand and the power of Almighty God to reach down, to lift us up and bring us into a place of freedom. Our God is a deliverer. And he is able to set us free. And what happened in the midnight hour as they were praising, as they were praying, a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. God is wanting us to depend not on ourselves, but depend on his mighty power to pull us out of our dark night, to pull us out of our prison, to pull us out of our struggle and our pain and our situation. Our God is a God who is a deliverer. We have to become fully dependent on the power of God. And when we do, it proves our testimony in Jesus. A witness for Jesus is certain in their testimony of God's power. We can be certain, finally, as PL, if you come up here and play, we're going to close, that our witness provokes an enemy. It provides an opportunity to give God glory. It proves 
the sincerity of our testimony. And finally, we can be certain that our witness can purchase a family. Verse 27. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So in that day, if a Roman soldier was to lose a prisoner, he would suffer the same fate as that person was in prison for. And they had arrested these men and they had put them in the inner cell. They were on death row, essentially. And he was saying, these prisoners get, get loose. If they get free, I would rather kill myself than suffer the torture of the Roman authorities. And so Paul, at that moment, he shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And I feel like the Lord showed me, spoke to me, that there are prisoners all around you that need to be set free. They need not your judgment, but they need your empathy. They need your listening ear. Because you know how you and I would have been, most of us. If somebody had thrown us in jail and mistreated us, we would have said, go ahead and stab yourself. No, this is not what the Apostle Paul does. He has great empathy and great concern for this jailer who, although he had the authority to put these men in prison, he was actually a prisoner himself. See, not everybody that you think has it all together, that has a good life, that has things, that they have experiences, they have wonderful photos on Facebook, they're living their best life, but oh, they're a prisoner. They're a prisoner to their sin. They're a prisoner to their emotions and their imagination and their future and the guilt that they struggle with. Oh, it might look like they've got everything together, but they are a prisoner. So this man comes into that jail cell, into that prison. He calls for the lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked this question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hmm. What must I do to be saved? The trouble that you're going through, the pain that you're experience, experiencing has a purpose. Your test is intended to be a testimony. Your mess, God can turn around to be a message. Your setback is a setup for a comeback. <laughs> Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The darkness you experience will be a declaration of the goodness of God. Your stumbling block can be a stepping stone to a better future. Your pain has a purpose. God is not done. You're coming out stronger, wiser, more faithful. You're coming out better. And when you come out, your witness for Jesus is going to bring out others with you. God has a purpose in your pain. And the question this jailer asked is, what must I do to be saved? This is the question that really matters. 
This is the question of greatest significance and importance. There is no question that's greater than this. And oftentimes we might give the wrong answers to the right questions. If we leave out the message of salvation in Jesus alone, we do not have the right answer. Here the Paul, looking at the great need, looking at what needs to be done. He knows that there is importance in this moment. He knows the urgency of this time, the urgency of what he's getting ready to say. Here Paul is being a witness. He's taking the truth of God and he's explaining his own experience with Jesus, what Jesus did in his life. And he's sharing his testimony with the jailer so that he and his family can also experience it too. It addresses the problem of the ignorance that I was talking to you about two weeks ago. The ignorance not knowing. People not knowing. They haven't heard the gospel, right? People not knowing what they must do to be saved. This expresses his ignorance. He knows a lot of things. He knows political things. He knows the laws. He knows uh, the, the, the rules of the Roman God. He knows a lot of things, but he does not. He's ignorant. He's He's ignorant in his understanding of what he must do to be saved. And he has this moment where he comes before uh, Silas and Paul and he bows before him. He says, what must I do to be saved? And then the apostle Paul and Silas, they say to this to them, they say, don't harm yourself. We're here. This addresses our empathy in contrast to apathy. Apathy says, I don't have concern. Ignorance says, I don't know. But Paul, not only did he know the answer, the right answer, but he, know, he knew what this man needed in the moment, which he needed to know that someone cares. We need to invest and invite in the people that are all around us. They don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I care enough. Don't kill yourself. Don't harm yourself. Here we are. Let me tell you about Jesus. Notice what he doesn't say. When he asks him, what must I do to be saved? He doesn't say, well, you know, you should uh, 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 come to church. You should fill out a connect card. You should attend our next step experience, which, by the way, is starting next week. Uh, you, should, um, you should start tithing to the church, yes, and then... And then you need to uh, give uh, to missions. You need to support our missions committee. Uh, you need to join a, a, a connect group. No, he doesn't say all of that. He gives them this simple, he gives them this simple requirement. What must I do to be saved? And he says in verse 31, they replied, believe, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You in your household. You will be. You shall be. There's no doubt you will be saved if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in the Lord Jesus involves acknowledging your sinfulness, repenting of your sins, and putting your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. The best way that I can illustrate this is through something, the true story that happened in, in the year 1859, the summer of 1859. There was a man named Charles Blondin, and uh, he had stretched a tightrope all the way from uh, over Niagara Falls from the, from the American side all the way over to the Canadian side. And he walked over this tightrope two or three times. And the last time he walked backwards over the tightrope onto the Canadian side, he put a blindfold over his eyes, picked up a wheelbarrow, and walked the wheelbarrow all the way over to the other side of Niagara Falls. Can you imagine the sound, the mist arising, 
the fear that you would have doing that, and a, a huge crowd had assembled, ooing and eyeing and watching this spectacle take place. And he gets on the other side, on the American side, and everybody goes nuts. They're cheering, yeah, he did it, he did it. And now he wants some audience participation. So he calls out to the audience and he says, how many of you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow back across to the Canadian side backwards? Everybody's like, yeah, you can do it. We believe that you can do it. We've seen you do it. Why? Because they've seen him do it. They've seen him go back and forth. They believe at this point. But he says, who is willing to get in the wheelbarrow and go over with me? Nobody said a word. They all sat right down and began. They got quiet as quiet could be. <laughs> it illustrates what it means to believe. This is not a mere intellectual assent, but this is a heart response to an invitation to get into the wheelbarrow, to get in. To trust that the same God who's called you is the same God that can keep you, is the same God that can get you to where he's taking you. Get in the wheelbarrow today. And I love the rest of the story. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. He immediately, he and his household were baptized. And then he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his household. Oh, you're a believer in Jesus? Yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus. Well, the scripture says, let everyone who names the name of Jesus depart from inequity. It says, let everyone who would follow me deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It says, for all those who would follow Jesus to bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. Walk the walk. If you're going to follow Jesus... He's calling you not just to come forward and make a confession, just to believe intellectually, but to make a heart commitment where you get into the wheelbarrow and give God your whole life. The way that you talk, the way that you live, the way that you treat other people, the way that you embrace this missional lifestyle of being a witness for Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to name the name of Jesus and then not live for him and not tell the world of all that he's done for us. It's not optional for us to be a witness. It's not optional for us to go. It's not optional because we don't want to be in uncertain circumstances. We don't get that privilege to say, Jesus, I believe in you, but I'm not going to follow you. No, to believe in Jesus is to follow him, is to deny ourselves, is to live the life, is to go out and to be a witness. And to tell the world about him in the way that we talk and the way that we live. And I'm closing. And the Lord said to Paul, Acts chapter 22, I'm going to go back here just for a second. Acts chapter 22, verse 21, the Lord said to me, go. 
I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I guess the question this morning is, what are you going to do with your uncertain circumstances? You're going to pray? You're going to praise? You're going to trust God? You're going to keep showing up? You're going to get in the wheelbarrow? You're going to say yes to God? Or are you going to make excuses? Are you going to compromise? Are you going to negotiate with God? To follow Jesus is to be all in for Jesus. There's no middle ground. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. In other words, die to yourself. Follow me. So today, all across this room, would you stand up on your feet? Because maybe many of you are in an uncertain circumstance. You're in a midnight season. You're facing difficulty, pain, hardship, trouble. And for you... What this means is that I'm going, to trust the God, I'm going to trust God in my pain. I'm not going to depend on my own power, my own ability, my own strength, my own ingenuity. I'm not trying to get myself out of this situation. But I'm learning how to depend on God to get me out, to set me free, and to set me on the path that he has for my life. Maybe you're in that midnight season and you need to make a declaration. You need to make a declaration today <laughs> that God is good all the time and I trust him. You need to make a declaration today that I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him and he'll direct my path. Maybe for some of you, you're standing by and your uncertainty is what it means to say yes to Jesus, to be his witness, to share what you've experienced, heard, and seen, to share the miracles that God has done in your life, to share with people, your colleagues, maybe your, 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 your co-workers, right, your neighbors, your family. Maybe you haven't been as vocal and you haven't shared your testimony like you should. Maybe that's your next step into uncertainty. But one thing that we can be certain of, even in the midst of our uncertainty, is that God has called us to go. And he hasn't called us to go alone, but he's called us to go with power in the person of the Holy Spirit. He will not leave us. He won't forsake us. But he'll be with us. So this morning, maybe you're online watching or maybe you're in person here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, God, I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow. I'm going to give you everything. And right now the Lord is speaking to your heart and you know it. And you know that your life is not where it should be right now. You know that your sins have separated you from God. That's the bad news. But the good news is this, that God so loved the world he loved you. Even while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. He loved you in advance. And he gave his very best. He gave his all so that you could in turn give your all to him. And so this morning, God is speaking to you. He's calling you. He's inviting you to come on a, on a journey to follow him to fully come into the plan that God has for your life, you can't do it on your own. You have to say yes to Jesus. I will follow you. 
And when you do that, the, the, the chains of your sin and your addiction and your brokenness and your guilt and your shame, they will be broken off of you in the moment. Jesus is a deliverer. He will set you free from your sin and your shame and the power that it has over your life today. He will set you free and you will live in freedom. And so today, maybe you need to give your life, there are those of you that need to give your life to Jesus and you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. This is what I want you to do. In this moment, make a commitment to him. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and confess with your mouth, you will be saved.